Blog Talk Radio. Boston. I'm filling in for Amy Peekoff on her show, Don't Let It Go, Unheard, on Block Talk Radio. Um, Amy's away on a, at a seminar for a couple of days. I'm going to try to do my best to fill in. Uh, as you as you know, I'm uh, usually a co-host or a, a sidekick to Amy, so this is the first time I'm doing it solo. Uh, I've done I've done a few talks here and there. Uh, I always feel a little you know, I'm comfortable about it because my main forte, my, the main thing I do is I write and draw comics. I'm a cartoonist. Um, so let's hope, hopefully I can uh, keep you interested and uh, entertained uh, while Amy's gone. And for those who accuse me of interrupting Amy a lot, I'm going to interrupt her for a full two hours today. Uh, so today I'm going to talk about um, a few things. Uh, quote, unquote, China's 9-11. That's what it's being re- referred to. Now, as far as I know, it's being referred to as such by the Chinese government, which is a state, you know, a state-run um, media. But um, it's something. It's a horrific attack. If you read about it, or maybe you, you haven't read about it, because our media has been covering it up, using every name in the book to cover the fact that it was Muslims uh, committing mass murder in the name of Islam. Also, uh, Ted Cruz did a speech yesterday at CPAC which I thought was great, as good as any politician uh, can do. Uh, basically, he puts a 10-point plan for America on how to win uh, elections. And uh, I'll, I'll read you the list later. And also, uh, something about the entertainment world's nonstop Islamophilia. Um, there's a new film out there Liam Neeson has, and I'll tell you about it right after the introduction. If you want to call in, uh, I'd love for uh, anyone to call in. Um, the number is uh, 760-888-5817. 760-888-5817. And this show is brought to you by Audible, which is the audio book dealer. And uh, on my own Audible app, I'm currently, currently listening to a book called Perfect. And the subtitle is How to Stop Chasing Perfection and Start Living a Richer, Happier Life. Uh, I definitely see myself as some of his uh, descriptions of the writer's descriptions of uh, perfectionists. It's a, definitely a solid book. I'm uh, probably three chapters in. And uh, I also just added the more recent Atlas Shrugged audiobook version read by Scott Brick. Um, I'll be listening to that right after this. And, you know, I listen while I walk, while I drive. I think it's a great way to uh, take in books, especially if you're busy. And I tend to, when I'm not composing pages on my on my comic books, uh, when I'm just drawing, especially inking, I listen to audiobooks and talk radio. Uh, and for a free trial at Audible, uh, go to audibletrial.com forward slash Amy Peekoff. audibletrial.com forward slash Amy Peekoff. And to start off the show, I want to congratulate uh, radio talk show host Mark Levin uh, for winning the first annual Andrew Breitbart Free Speech Award, and he, he accepted it at uh, CPAC, which is the Conservative Political Action Conference uh, taking place right now, I believe, in Washington. Uh, you know, he's outside of 
Amy and Tammy Bruce, I think he's the finest uh, talk radio host in America today. The most passionate. Uh, it doesn't seem like he's beholden to anyone or anything except the truth as he sees it. Um, he, he's excellent. There are points of uh, that we disagree with, but naturally he's a conservative, a, religi- a religious conservative on top of that. So we'll disagree a, a few things, but he loves the country, loves the Constitution, and uh, he just wrote a book called The Liberty Amendments, and it seems like a few states are seriously considering having a convention of the states to try to um, amend the Constitution, try to get the power back to the people, try to basically put the government back in its place by our representatives in, in the legislation, in the legislature, and uh, we'll see. Um, uh, and, you know, just speaking of Breitbart, um, I knew Andrew Breitbart. I had contact with him a number of times at some events. Uh, he he died two years ago uh, this this past week. And I remember that morning, he hit me like a ton of bricks because um, he was very young. I think he was 41. And uh, I think he had a heart attack uh, late night, I think, what was it, February 28th or March 1st. And uh, he... He was a a fighter. That's how I mainly saw him, a real hardcore fighter for his values against the left. He was a great fighter against the left. And I remember that morning, as soon as I heard about it, within a half hour, I posted a, a drawing that I did, did of him called Fighter. And uh, Greg Gutfeld of uh, Fox News, Red Eye and The Five, liked it so much that he wanted uh, me to get a print from so I made it into a print, and then he decided to auction it off on his show um, for the fund of Andrew Breitbart's uh, children. So it's, it ended up selling for $5,000, which was great. And I think the individual who bought that uh, gave it back to uh, Greg Guffel, from what I gather. And uh, speaking of um, Breitbart, uh, I just want to let you know about my, my first contact with Andrew Breitbart. A, uh, I emailed him, and I told him about what I do and my work, and he wrote back uh, very, very shortly um, and, and, and as loud a way as he could, he wrote back in all caps, I love pig man. And that blew me away. I loved it. And um, then he invited me to be part of the quote unquote ultra secret Hollywood group made up of non-leftists in Hollywood. It's not quite ultra secret now because the New York Times out of, out of the group recently. And you know, people have, been no, have, have known about it to some extent. But I'll still keep the name under wraps for now. And he invited me to, to uh, the events there to become a member. It's, 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 it's a luncheon. Meet, meet other people from that group. You've got actors and writers and directors and artists and novelists and people who are basically non-leftists because a lot of them are libertarians and conservatives and even some objectivists. Uh, so he, he invited me at that time, it was 2009, to be part of uh, Big Hollywood. His, his website. I think it was only Big Hollywood at that time. And um, so I had to work with an editor there. And the editor and me, I could tell from day one that we were going to clash here and there. Uh, within a, a number of months, he rejected five pieces of mine, five five cartoons of mine, which I didn't think were too radical, uh, which which he did. And, uh, you know, basically um, it culminated on uh, the morning. I think it was the morning or the afternoon when the Fort Hood massacre happened. And I sent in a piece, because at that point, it was it was early on, but CBS News and some others uh, said that uh, the killer was screaming Allahu Akbar. I think they named him at that point, uh, Nadal Hassan. And uh, so I sent in uh, a cartoon of uh, Pigman. 
It was called uh, Retribution and Big Caps and a, a very you know angry looking pigman. And I was told by the editor there that it was quote unquote inappropriate. And I thought uh, not posting that was inappropriate. At that point, uh, 13 Americans were mass murdered by a Muslim. Uh, the same, uh, you know, motivated by the same ideology that's been at war with us for the last decade. Well, decades, but since 9-11. And uh, sadly, uh, I sent it in. I was, I was pissed off. And I sent back uh, an email. And, you know, I, I, I contained my anger and I said, I see. And after that, uh, that same editor at Big Hollywood posted a piece by one Michael Yan who said about the Fort Hood attack that, quote, we know nothing. We know less than nothing about the attack. At that point, we knew it was a Muslim. We knew his name. We knew the fact that he you know, murdered Americans in the name of Islam. But they were saying at that point that they uh, knew nothing and that we should wait until Christmas, after Christmas, to find out what happened. And that made my blood boil, especially since it was, nine, it was November 9th, and they wanted to wait until over a month and a half to get to the bottom of who and what was behind the attack, something we already knew. Um... And, you know, as, as I mentioned, even, C, even CBS knew about that. So um, after that, I basically, I commented in the uh, comment section and uh, telling them, we know, we know what we need to know right now. And uh, I don't, I, I'm really surprised that you guys, that CBS got ahead of you guys here. And um, after that, you know, I, I, I guess was, he said, well, if, if you continue this, we're going to have to let you go. And I said, that, that's fine. I thought they were dead wrong to withhold that crucial information that we knew at that time. And especially to especially say, well, you know, we'll wait till after Christmas when we have the convenience, I guess, when we're, after we're done celebrating. Then we could focus on the 13 murdered Americans. That, and again, so that really pissed me off. And I contacted Andrew, Andrew Breitbart, by uh, uh, Facebook chats. And uh, he wasn't too pleased, but he agreed with me. But he just said that my tactics were wrong. And before we got to the point of what exactly my taxes were being used, they were wrong. He basically said, well, so I asked him, I said, flat out, I said, where do we stand, me and you? You know, let's forget about the editor there. Where do you and I stand? And he says, send me a letter, send me an email, and we go from there. And so I saw him at least two or three times after that over the years. And I even tried to introduce him. Well, I did introduce him to uh, Euron Brook at one of the events. And they they chatted for a few minutes. I don't know what came of that. Um, but he was, uh, I just want to bring that up. And, you know, I, I regret it at the same time um, for them not to post, not to write about what happened. Uh, pissed me off. And this is just in... It's, it keeps it keeps going that way, you know, um, in the American media today with China's 9-11, that's just being called. So I'm going to read to you uh, this one um, op-ed at IBD, Investors, Investors Business Daily, which is probably hands down one of the best op-eds uh, sections in the, in the major papers today. And um, the title is China's 9-11. China's 9-11 shows jihadists now hitting soft targets. And we learn... Uh, here that uh, well let me let me go on before I come to that part. The crime scene at a railway station in Yunnan, China, is roped off after Islamic terrorists killed 29 on Sunday. I heard it was 33 at one point, with over 150 they were uh, injured. Who knows the extent of those injuries as well? Maybe people succumbed to them after the fact. 
Uh, and then the title is Global Jihad. Uh, Muslim terrorists hacked to death 29 people and injured 143 at a crowded China train, train station. But the Western media dismissed the attackers as quote-unquote separatists, making a quote-unquote political statement. Jihad? What jihad? IBD asks. And over the weekend, a terrorist cell of uh, eight Islamists, they still use the word Islamists, I call them Muslims, they're you know, devout Muslims, but anyway. They, were, they, they consisted of six, six men and two women, all Muslims, traveled hundreds of miles from their home in China's Muslim province of Xinjiang to serene Kunming to carry out their bloody jihad on innocent civilians. They were dressed in black and armed with knives and machetes. The well-trained terrorists randomly hacked and slashed the heads and throats of passengers in what the state press is calling, quote-unquote, China's 9-11. Uh, mostly, they went for the, head and sh- for the head and shoulders, those parts of the body to kill, a terrified student told Reuters. Can you, just let me get off for a second. Can you imagine coming, out, coming off a train, you have uh, eight people dressed in black slashing away at human beings to put them down in the name of Islam. I mean, the horror, the blood that must have spilled that, that day. It's just one of the most brutal, brutal attacks I think I've heard about, uh, of course, since 9-11 and the uh, Beslan massacre in, in Russia and so on and so on in Spain, in, in, in London and in, in our country since 9-11, Boston, the Fort Hood. But I digress. Let me uh, continue. Um, mostly they went for and then it says yet the Western press. This is IBD again. Yet the Western press can't quite understand why it's called jihad. Why? No, sorry. I'm sorry. Yet the Western press can't understand why, because they're using every name in a book, every, every reason. Um, it's called jihad, Abidi says, which is the proper term for the enemy's war on us. It's uh, Islam's doctrine of warfare. And just to mention, just uh, aside again, that Ted Cruz is the only politician, as far as I know, at least of the contenders for 2016 presidency, who uses the term jihad correctly, appropriately. Uh, which is which is another plus for for Ted Cruz, and IBD says it's called jihad. It's happening all over the world, and now it's come to China. The New York Times, for one, blamed the attack on ethnic hatred in China, expressing sympathy for China's growing Muslim population who complain of religious oppression. Missing from the story was the jihadi attack. I don't, I don't like that term jihadi, by the way. It sounds too cutesy, but whatever. Jihadi attack last October that killed five. So there was a jihadist attack last October that killed five in Tiananmen Square. All told, now, now, now listen to this. This was news to me. It might be news to you as well. All told, Muslims carried out some 200 terrorist attacks inside China last year. Let me repeat. Muslims carried out some 200 terrorist attacks inside China last year. I, did, I mean, I had, I had no idea. I knew that they had... Uh, the Uyghurs, the Muslims in China, but 200. And now they're hitting software targets, IBD continues, just like here. Uh, the Western media quote, this, they quote Robert Spencer, which is great to know that they actually cite Robert Spencer because he's the premier anti-jihad writer in America and the world, I'd say. I know Robert, he's great. Uh, he goes, quote, the Western media is indeed contemptuous of the idea that China faces a jihad threat, said Jihad Watts Robert Spencer. They're just as dismissive of the idea that the West faces a jihad threat. And IBD continues, like the terrorists who hacked off the head of a British soldier in broad daylight in London, the Chinese terrorists were following the jihadi uh, commands of their holy book to quote in the Quran. It says to 
smite ye above their necks, and quote, strike off their heads when killing the infidels wherever you find them. The same gruesome MO was on display in Boston. If only authorities had recognized it for what it was. Um, Boston Magazine had concluded in a long article time for the marathon bombing's anniversary that police could have prevented the horrific attacks that they had recognized, an earlier triple homicide in a Boston suburb as jihadi terrorism. On September 11, 2011, the throats of all three victims found in a Walham, Walham condo in Boston had been slashed with such force their heads were nearly decapitated. Two of the victims were Jewish, their wounds the kind seen in an Al-Qaeda snuff video. Yet police ignored the telltale jihadi clues and wrote it off as a drug deal gone bad. But now they're sure one of the Boston bombers, Tamerlan Sarnov, was responsible for one of the bloodiest attacks investigators have ever seen. Too late now. Tragically, Sarnov was never questioned, even though he worked out with one of the victims and was known as a raging, quote-unquote, Islamist at the gym. Uh, quote, if police had figured out who hacked three men to death on September 11, 2011, the magazine lamented, there's a good chance we would not be talking about the Boston Marathon bombings. Beheadings and throat slashings are the calling card of jihadists. How many more innocent people have to die before we take off the politically correct blinders and see the threat for what it is? Um, I want to ask anyone, if anyone wants, wants to call in, uh, the number... Let me get the number one second. Number is uh, 760-888-5817. 760-888-5810. Let me get this out of here. Let me see what I can do. Um, someone, yeah, someone's calling in. Let's see uh, if I get how to do this. Hello? Uh, who's this? Hey, Bosh. Hey, Bosh. Hello, it's Mike Kralis. How are you? Hey, Mike, how are you? Good to hear you. Thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks. I, yeah, no, I, need, I need some backup here because without Amy, it's tough. Yeah, well, the, the, thanks for, thanks for uh, man, in the, man in the store today while Amy's gone. Is, is Amy no, at CPAC? Is that why she's not there? No, no, actually, uh, people would assume that, but uh, she's at something that she'll definitely talk about uh, next week. And uh, oh, she great. might even call. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's something for, I can't even get into it. It's pretty funny, uh, but it's for a potential project. We'll see. Oh, cool! Nice. Okay. Well, uh, so, I, yeah. uh, thanks for thanks for reading this uh, IBD thing. I uh, brought it up and was following along when you were reading it. I, I hadn't heard about this at all. This is just unbelievably horrific. It's unbelievable, and it's unbelievable, <laughs> and it's been blocked out by our by the scum media uh, across the world across the board. Uh, China, I guess, now is willing to say this is China's 9/11 because it's it's one of the most horrific attacks. I mean, I've heard in years. Horrific. Well, yeah, and, and the fact that it was done with knives and, and oh, swords and machetes and whatever, exactly. that's god-awful. Oh, man. If you only outlawed knives and machetes, this would never happen. That's right. That's right, Mike. That's right. So uh, people in China, just take note, if you outlaw knives and, and swords, oh. and none of this would then, ever happen. Then you're all good, yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's the thing. Right. I mean, is, you know, we we have to basically declare war against jihad. You know, I think the entire civilized world. And uh, well, I mean, with- I mean, back back in, I mean, this goes back to the 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 Iran hostage crisis in '79 yeah. when Jimmy Carter was president. That, that's right. On that day, on that day when the embassy was stormed, the and and people don't remember this because they're not told and they're not taught. And the Islamic Republic of Iran declared yeah. war on the United States of America and the West on that yeah. day. They said Absolutely. so. 
Khomeini Absolutely. said so himself, and they've never yep. withdrawn the declaration. It's been in place for 30-plus years. Exactly. And until people understand that they don't want to talk, they don't want no. peace, they don't want accommodation, they want submission, or they want destruction. And Absolutely. That's it. That you either die or submit. And if you don't submit, we'll kill you. Right. And that's what, what that's what we've been fighting for years. And st- it's amazing how many people still just want to pussyfoot around and 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 not and not call evil what it is to its own face. Yep. And and, and what are worse and that, things and that's also? How, that's how that's how the world burns is when people refuse to call out evil and say what it is to its face. That's when the world burns. And also to encourage these guys, because the fact is, when Carter did nothing, uh, Osama bin Laden and others looked at that and said, "Wow." Uh, we can actually oh, take, yeah. take yeah, them down. Yeah. We can actually continue killing them and get away with it. And the tragic yeah. thing is, a number of years later, uh, Reagan, the great Reagan, even he actually ran when um, when uh, Hezbollah murdered 241 Marines. He got out of there, and he didn't make them pay. And they they don't forget that. And that's why I got that one cartoon, if you saw it, uh, if anyone else is listening. I, I don't want to keep mentioning it, but I think it's important. It's called I Ran. And it names all the last six presidents who've all run from Iran, including our current one. You know, and, and I think John Kerry said recently, Iran will not get nukes. Really, what are you going to do about it? What do you do about it, John? Who said you know, that what's he going to do? Yeah, Kerry actually said that, literally said that. And Bush said the same thing. They've all said the same thing. But uh, I mean, the only, the only reason why we know that they don't have the, the nuke yet is because it hasn't detonated yet. I mean, that's, that's how you know yeah. that they haven't got nuke. And think about this also. In, the, in a world where nukes have been around for decades and decades, they still haven't acquired it. That says something about their culture, about their intelligence, about the fact that they can't do this. They yeah. just can't, you know. And, I mean, yeah, they can't, a, culture, and, a culture that can't create a nuke shouldn't wield it. They, they shouldn't have it. Uh, and, yeah, and finally, finally, after such a long time, you have, uh, finally enough, Russian money funneled through Syria yeah. And probably straight, straight from Russia, too. And God knows, the probably Chinese uh, money in there, I'm sorry, too. Mike, your phone's breaking up a little. If you don't mind, I'm going to oh, get off. It, if, you, if you want to try to call back uh, in the law, because I'll okay, get a few more stories. I appreciate it. Thanks for the call, Mike. Okay, Bosh, thanks. Thanks. Bye. Okay, everyone, uh, let me look at the, the uh, chat room. Uh, <laughs> State Defiance says, what's not to love about Pigman? Thanks. Uh, I, I mean, I, I love Pigman. He's my own. Uh, he's my he's my baby. Um, Mark writes, I love Breitbart. It's a little sad that his website has become a pulpit for social cons. In a lot of ways, it has. It definitely has. I mean, it's it's lost the fire. And one thing about Andrew, he um, Andrew Breitbart, he uh, he was not. Uh, he didn't push religion. Maybe he was religious to some extent, but he didn't push the uh, social issues at all. It was all about bringing back the culture. About you know, it says uh, we got to not just engage in the culture; we have to become the culture. You know, we have to get our voice out there. He was very good at that. Very good at that. And uh, you know, some other ones right here. Well, this first time, yeah. Daniel says first time. Uh, I've grasped. Uh, he goes, wow, this is, this isn't the first time I've grasped that it's us versus them. But but this story is causing me to go through a contextual revision. The us isn't America. It isn't even the West. It's literally all non-Muslims, right? Right. Absolutely right. And well, you know, people said something about um, Russia and, and China that well, the jihad wouldn't go after them because they'll, they'll just put them down. They're just secular. 
um, you know, Russia has been attacked again and again. That Bezlan massacre was never paid for. They didn't wipe out the entire group that murdered hundreds and hundreds of kids and adults. And China, we note now, we find another 200 terrorist attacks, jihad attacks in China, and they haven't put down these, these people yet. They haven't rounded them up. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what the issue is there. I, you know, we assume that they're going to be a little more ruthless than us, but it doesn't look like it right now. Uh, so let me just uh, let me see what else I have here in terms of the stories. Um, and you know, let me let, let me read off some tweets that that I said post uh, China's 9/11 about the RBD trying to cover up um, the fact that these are jihadists. Uh, I said for the scum media, what's worse than a mass murder? If Muslims are behind it, to them that's worse. They can report mass murder like you know, like nothing. But to report that Muslims are behind it, that's you know, that's that's even worse than than the attack. I also wrote to Muslims murdered 33 people, wounded 130. This is a, a, a different story. The, the estimates are changing a little here and there. I said Muslims murdered 33 people, wounded 130 in China today, and that fact has been buried by most news sources as if it were worse than the, than the atrocity. And then I called out uh, Muslims and leftists. I said, Muslims and leftists, the fact that Muslims are behind the massacre in China is not the worst thing about it, okay? It's not. I also tweeted, uh, while human beings are shaken to their core by the mass murders in China, leftists and quote-unquote moderate Muslims are shaken by the fact that Muslims are behind it. I know I'm pushing this issue, but think about that. I said, hey, leftists, a terrorist attack is worse than the fact that Muslims are behind it. It's worse. Mass murder is worse. Do you, do you understand? And uh, I, I remember this after the Boston massacre. Muslims tweeting out there, please don't let it be Muslims. Please. Because that was a major issue, you know. The victims, to hell with them. It was a, please, let's, let's not be, let it be Muslims. These are allegedly civilized Western Muslims writing this. And, uh, and then I have this conversation, this uh, what-if conversation in the uh, Media newsroom. Quote, some things are worse than terrorist attacks. Like what? Like reporting that Muslims are behind it. And then here's what the group Muslims Against Jihad wrote about the mass murder by Muslims in China. And I put a blank space. Because I don't think there is a group called Muslims Against Jihad, first of all. And uh, what the Muslims said about this massacre. The only thing I, I caught was uh, there was um, a profile written about me on this one website called Islamic Commentary by... Uh, a um, recent convert to Islam, an American convert, educated here. He has a PhD. He's American. Post 9-11 converts to Islam. Why? I don't know why. But on that website, they basically suggest that the Chinese government's mistreatment of those uh, Chinese Muslims led to this. If you're mistreated by, by a government, you have the right to slaughter dozens of people. That's what that piece is trying to say. And then uh, I wrote uh, one last thing. I wrote, uh, quote, extremist Muslims celebrate China attack. Quote, unquote, moderate Muslims cry that Muslims are behind it. Where are the human Muslims mourning the victims? Now, where are they? Uh, let's see what else I have here. And talking about, basically, I mentioned uh, Liam Neeson, the actor, the excellent actor, Liam Neeson. Uh, he has a new movie out called Nonstop. And uh, recently, Breitbart, at uh, I think their Hollywood, Bright, big Hollywood section, they warned readers not to watch uh, Lee Neeson's latest film, Nonstop. And I'll explain why after this. 
because uh, let's go back two years to a New York Post story. And I wrote about this on, on my blog at the time. The, the title was, uh, it was January 25th, 2012. Uh, Liam Neeson says he may convert to Islam. Liam Neeson says he may convert to Islam. That's the title. And it says, Los Angeles. Hollywood star Liam Neeson is considering giving up his Roman Catholic beliefs and becoming a Muslim. The actor, 59, admitted that Islamic prayer, quote, got into his spirit, unquote, while filming in Istanbul, Turkey. He told the son, the call to prayer happens five times a day, and for the first week, it drives you crazy. And then it just gets into your spirit, and it's the most beautiful, beautiful thing. He added, there are 4,000 mosques in the city. Some are just stunning, and it really makes me think about becoming a Muslim. Yeah, how profound is that? Uh, Neeson was raised in Northern Ireland as a devout Roman Catholic and was named after a local priest. Uh, but the star, whose wife, Natasha Richardson, died aged 45 in a skiing accident in 2009, has spoken about challenges to his faith. He said, I was reared a Catholic, but I think every day we ask ourselves, uh, not consciously, what are we doing on this planet? What's it all about? I'm constantly reading books on God or the absence of God and atheism. And now uh, at Breitbart.com, in a review of Neeson's new, new movie, Nonstop, here's the, here's the bottom line, the gist why no one should watch the movie. And here's a spoiler. If you are going to watch it, maybe uh, take, take a break for a minute. Uh, quote, uh, the villain is an American soldier turned terrorist and a 9-11 family member. The hero is someone who lost a family member on the 9-11 attacks and, and an American soldier. And on top of that, quote, the one passenger on the plane who is forever helpful, kind, reasonable, noble, and never under suspicion is a Muslim doctor dressed in traditional Muslim garb, including the full beard. This is what Hollywood is doing today, post 9-11. Um, this is the kind of films that they're making. And um, I wrote a piece in my blog called The Hollywood's Non-Stop Islamophilia, Anti-Americanism, because the film is called Non-Stop. And uh, even though the film earned the top spot at the box office tragically last week, it's uh, looking like it's going to drop to number four at least this week. I guess the word got out. Who knows? The out outrage got out. I hope that's the case. But uh, it has no legs, which is good, which is, which is appropriate. Um, it sounds like a terrible film. And Liam Neeson's Islamophilia, I guess, took hold uh, a couple years later. And who knows? That's, that's how they... Um, that's how he deals with the death of his wife. Who knows? Maybe he wants to find something that looks more religious. Because one thing about Islam, uh, there's no no religious people are as ostentatious about their religion as Muslims are. They wear the robes and they have the beard and they have the burqas and so maybe you know all the sounds as he said, all the four thousand mosques in Turkey that appeals to him. Whatever he just he he's not too bright. Let's say he's a great actor. He definitely is, but. Um, terrible choice on his part and uh, I'm glad uh, he and, and the film is paying a price for it and uh, so let me get to Islamophilia in um, America I wrote a piece recently for PG Media if you can indulge me uh, I'd like to read the piece at least the bulk of it and uh, discuss what um, what we're going through here uh, post 9-11 a dozen years after 9-11 in Hollywood in comic books in our media 
the fact is they want to make Islam look good. They want to sell Islam as something it's not. And my piece, I write uh, 10 Truths Mainstream Comic Books Evade to Promote Quote-Unquote Muslim Superheroes. And uh, I start off with, uh, the Muslim terrorist is a cliche, but only in real life. And in post-9-11 comic books, quote-unquote Muslim superheroes are becoming a cliche. As a cartoonist and as a recovered Muslim, working on an anti-geographic novel called The Infidel, featuring Pigman, my own superhero, I've identified certain truths that Marvel and DC Comics have to evade in order to shove their quote-unquote Muslim superheroes down the throats of their readers. Before I move on to my list, I want to add that I put quote-unquote Muslim superheroes in quotes because Marvel and DC Comics want to promote quote-unquote Muslim superheroes without promoting Muslim superheroes. They want to promote their fantasy version of what they would like Muslim superheroes to be, not Islam's version. As I've argued in my work, a good Muslim by our standards is a bad Muslim by Islamic standards. Therefore, a true Muslim superhero would be a Muslim supervillain. And let me uh, repeat here one second about uh, people want to call in. Uh, the number is 760-888-5817. This is Bosch Faust. I'm a, I'm a cartoonist filling in for Amy Peikoff on her Don't Let It Go on her show. And um, I'm continuing to read my 10 Truths Mainstream Comic Books Evade to Promote Muslim Superheroes in the wake of, uh, especially in the wake of the recent attack in, in uh, China. Um, you know, Marvel, I don't know how those editors can look themselves straight in, in the mirror, um, promoting Islam through their Muslim superheroes. Uh, you know, Marvel just released their own Muslim superhero called Miss um, Marvel, who adopts a, a name of, an, of a pre, pre-existing Muslim superhero called Miss Marvel. Uh, she's Muslim, and you probably heard it on the show, but the first thing you see from her in the comic is her sniffing uh, bacon through a deli, uh, through a glass at a deli, and saying she uh, loves uh, the quote-unquote delicious, delicious infidel meat, uh, unquote, which is something that, uh, growing up as a Muslim, we never, ever said. I mean, it was one thing that quote-unquote modern Muslims never did is talk about bacon or pork or with the pig in any positive way and sure as i'll never had it um but anyway they were i think from right out of the gate they tried to appeal to quote-unquote infidels you know hey she's like you she's american like you she's like peter parker anyway so the number one reason why we should not be having muslim superheroes why there should not be uh helpful muslims in that movie uh, where you expect Muslims to be the terrorists in, in that movie, you know, instead is uh, that we are at war. We are at war. Uh, 9-11-01 was 12 years ago, yet those behind the attack are still undefeated. And the greatest state sponsors of terrorism on earth, Saudi Arabia and Iran, operate as if 9-11 never happened. We never gave them a reason to stop, ever. We never declared war against jihad. You know, we haven't. We haven't taken it seriously. The war on terror means nothing. The war on jihad would be the proper term. If only Bush said that. Anyway, I'll continue. Um, and we're still not ready to identify Islam as the enemy's motivation. Can you imagine American comic book publishers during World War II publishing Italian, Japanese, and German superhero comic books? That would have been unthinkable back then. And just just as an as an aside again, imagine in this movie, uh, in Liam Neeson movie, if it was made in World War II, let's say, post Pearl Harbor, and you have an American soldier who lost someone at Pearl Harbor, and he's the villain, and you have the good German on the airplane helping the air marshal. 
he's kind and generous and sweet and all that. I mean, that, that to me would be absolutely impossible. It, it would never, ever, ever have got past the script stage. The guy would have been fired, the uh, screenwriter. Anyway, so uh, I write uh, the fact that, you know, imagine Italian, Japanese, German superhero comic books in World War, World, during World, World, World War II. That would have been unthinkable. Almost as unthinkable as it currently is to see Marvel and DC Comics create anti-jihad superheroes. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Pigman, my character, is probably the only anti-jihad superhero who's been of any, you know, note. I mean, uh, Frank Miller created... Uh, well, Frank Miller made a Batman versus Jihad comic, and after DC balked or who knows what happened behind the scenes, Miller turned it into uh, turned a character into the Fixer. But it was only one shot that came out to 2011, and uh, it's important for a guy of of his power, no doubt, to have that out there. I just um, he didn't go after Islam per se; he went after the jihadists and Al Qaeda, which is which is great because even that doesn't happen today. Um, he wasn't as explicit about the enemy as I am. Let, let me just say that. Uh, so DC Marvel, uh, I mean, will they ever do it? I doubt it. I mean, ever is a, is a long time, but, um, I just don't understand this, um, this resistance to seeing the truth, to acting on it. And to, there's, there was a tradition in World War II, as I'll mention uh, right now, let me, let me, let me continue with this. While Marvel and DC are presenting Islam, to us in the most politically correct possible way through their comics in the real world Muslims are on the warpath killing non-Muslims every single day and I have a link to this one website called um, religionofpeace.com religion they have a list every single day of how many were killed and maimed and this every single day across the world Muslims are killing in the name of Islam and it's in this climate which Marvel Comics releases this Muslim superhero and says nothing about the bigger jihad nothing about it its intent is to promote islam to say you know the muslim is just like one of us and yes it's a reality that there are muslims in this country that do not mean harm that would never join jihad but that's not the point the only reason why we're talking about islam is because of 9-11 anyway so uh these quote-unquote muslim superheroes are in the end a way for liberals to, to deny the reality that an entire part of the world is at war with us while we do everything we can to focus on Muslims who are not at war with us, as if they're the true representatives of a violent religion like Islam. And uh, the second reason that we shouldn't have Muslim superheroes is that Islam means submission, not peace. The only reason we're talking about Islam at all today is because it doesn't mean peace. Islam literally means submission, and it demands that Muslims submit to the will of its malevolent God, Allah. September 11, 2001 is when Americans really began to discuss Islam. That is the real focal point. That's the, that's the day that everything changed. That's the day that we should have said, okay, well, we've got a real problem here, and let's not uh, kiss Islam's ass anymore. Because even prior to 9-11, uh, Bill Clinton was uh, doing a whole Islam meets peace crap. Uh, so basically here, uh, Islam literally means submission. And it demands that Muslims submit to the will of his malevolent God, Allah, as I repeat, I'm sorry. September 11, 2001 is when Americans really began to discuss Islam. Unfortunately, most of that talk ended up giving the religion the benefit of the doubt, either by ignorance or by deception. But we always need to remember that it was death and destruction, not peace and understanding, which started our conversation about Islam. In general, Islam, not any alleged deviant form of it, means 
not peace, but uh, misogyny, censorship, anti-Semitism, homophobia, wife beatings, beheadings, honor killings, pedophilia, which they call, quote-unquote, child marriages, if you could euphemize it, murdering infidels, etc. And while jihad literally means struggle, its dominant historical meaning has been, quote-unquote, holy war. And the jihad against us is being fought by the enemy in every possible front, military, cultural, legal, political, etc. In the meantime, we seem content to limit our defense efforts to simply sending our troops to Muslim countries with their hands tied behind their backs, placing them in unnecessary danger by rules of engagement concocted by gutless politicians that only help the enemy. That only help the enemy. A great American military has no chance. A great, Amer- a great American military has no chance in hell of defeating the enemy when Islamophiles like George Bush and Barack Obama are calling the shots. Again, you can call in at um, 760-888-5817. 760-888-5810. I'm reading from my piece, um, 10 Truths Mainstream Comic Books Evade to Promote Muslim Superheroes in the wake of the Chinese... Um, China's 9-11. And then I, I added, the more of us who understand the, the nature of this enemy and the more willing we are to tell the truth about it, the more Washington, D.C. is pressured to act more rationally against an enemy who sees all of us as guilty until proven Muslim. And that's the whole thing about Islam. Um, the only innocents in Islam are Muslims, those who, who, those who submitted. Everyone else is guilty by nature of not submitting to Islam. Whether all Muslims believe that, it doesn't matter. The religion does. It's consistent practitioners do. You know, organized Islam does. I said, uh, as Muslim Bassam Tibi, who's uh, a Western German uh, Muslim, uh, he's, he's pretty rational. He, um, and he's honest about his religion, even though if he was that honest, he would have left it because he's against jihad. He's against Sharia law. Why he clings to it, I don't know. But he puts it, he, he says, those who resist Islam cause wars and are responsible for them. Let me repeat that. Those who resist Islam cause wars and are responsible for them. Uh, this is what Islam holds. Um, we would have peace if we just submit. If the entire un-Islamic world, the, uh, the non-Islamic world submits, then there's peace, quote-unquote. Uh, this enemy means business, I continued, and they're prepared to say and do anything to kill us while we're not even willing to be honest with ourselves about the exact nature of what we're facing. Let me just uh, re- read some uh, from the chat room before I continue. Um, let's see, is it permissible for a Muslim playing Minecraft to eat electronic imaginary pork? George asks, uh, pretty funny. Uh, that's such an awkward term, infidel meat. It's like an Islamic version of Soylent Green. Right, Daniel. It's, uh, it's just, I never heard that term before. And the context here is also that it's an American convert uh, to Islam, a post-9-11 American convert to Islam, I believe, who's writing this story. So let's just say she knows what bacon tastes like. She might not eat it now, but she knows it's, it's, it's delicious, and she has to deny it because of her religion. But also, I think, again, it was uh, Marvel's cheap, cheap, way to get infidels on the side of, of this comic right out of the gate. Why the hell would a Muslim say that? There's no reason. You wouldn't say that. In order to get infidels on your side, I guess that's the way to say it. 
And Daniel writes here also, he goes, the real enemy is the fake Muslims, not the devout ones. It's hard to justify attacking terrorists to an honest audience. It's difficult to hold people like Asaf Manvi accountable for providing the philosophical foundation for the Boston bombings. Well, you know, that's the thing about, um, that's the thing about uh, the Muslims. I, uh, I refer to them as non-Muslim Muslims. Uh, the terrible thing about them, though, is that they give a good face to e- to evil. You know, they um, especially Western ones. I mean, there are no Muslims like American Muslims. They are superior in so many ways. They live in a freer country. They well, I, have, I was about to say free country, but they live in a freer country than most countries. They get exposed to so many um, virtues of the West. I mean, that they don't live Islam in any way. They don't have to abide by Islamic law. So to pretend that they're Muslims, they, they represent Muslims, it's just not true. They don't. You know, they're non-Muslim Muslims. And that's the vast majority of the ones in the West. Um, let's see if there's any calls. Uh, yeah, there's uh, two calls. Let us uh, let me take one right now. Hello, who's this? This is... Uh, hello, who's this? Hi. Uh, my name is uh, Pierre, and I'm calling from uh, Quebec. Hello, how are you? I'm good. good. I'm fine. I'm sorry? Good to have you on. Do you have a question? Oh, uh, yes. Actually, I had a comment and a question. Um, I saw uh, you were talking about, like, how Islam was uh, infiltrating, like, the Hollywood and the pop culture, and especially, like, Mm -hmm. the comic books. Right. Um, I'm more on the side of like the fantasy stuff, like uh, Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. Right. And I've noticed that as well. Like in Harry Potter, they have uh, this major uh, convention that's happening every year that's called WikiCon, and they have a uh, lot of panels that's talking about like you slowly shoehorning um, LGBT issues and uh, right. lots of uh, multiculturalism uh, stuff like into uh, the panel in trying to reinterpret stuff that's happening in the books and some characters to further to forward like their their agenda. So yeah. I can see that pretty clearly. Uh, so far, they haven't been uh, into Islam yet, but they're definitely having the multiculturalist uh, bullshit, like solely shoehorning oh, yeah. and trying to get kids into that. And like they're also taking over the Hunger Games now. Right. Um, they 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 they're pretending to use like the districts or like the the Occupy Wall Street game. Right. Uh, right. But I think right. it's more like I I've seen I've read part of the books of the Hunger Games and to me the districts are much more reminiscent of what the Tea Party is standing for rather than the people on the left. Right. Yes, I think um, you're right. And also, and their heroes uh, like, and their heroes and they're fighting evil unapologi- unapologetically, which is what leftists don't do. They embraced yeah. totalitarianism, leftists. But go on, sorry. Yeah, uh, and also uh, I wanted to ask you a question about uh, Vladimir Putin because I saw you, the cartoon you did this week on your blog yeah. about him. Shooting. And like, yeah, and I've, I've read a lot of comments on uh, Breitbart News and other uh, places like Front Page Mag and uh, right. more like a right conservative United States blogs where people are praising Putin like Obama. Yes. Of course, Obama is like the the, the worst president yes. ever. But I want to have your opinion about Putin because there's a lot of praising of, of this guy. Uh, well, he's a thug. Going, uh, 
he's he's a thug. I mean, how 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 long has he been president for what a dozen years? He has killed uh, journalists. I, I mean, who knows how many? I think he killed six. He had journalists killed. Six journalists don't drop dead for no reason as soon as he becomes president in that first year. It doesn't happen. He makes it happen. He murders them. He murders his critics. And uh, from what I gather, he's uh, a billionaire, not through any means of his own. He's a multi-billionaire. He has, he's stolen money from, from the Russian people and stolen money from... So he's a bad guy. He's a thug. But it's, it's sad because Obama's so bad that people are looking to you know, attack him in any way, even by praising Putin. It doesn't make sense. They're, they're soul brothers. You know? I mean, well, soulless brothers, I would call them, actually. They have no soul. So I think he's a, he's a thug. And my cartoon is basically to say... Um, I call him Pukin, uh, because that's my response to those who are praising him as, a, as, as if he's a strong man, as if he's a, as if he's a leader. And he's not. He's a thug. He's a, he's a dictator. He's a lot more of a dictator than Obama. Obama's a frustrated dictator. He's an actual one. So uh, I can't stand the praise for um, a dictator, even if it's supposed to be at the expense of Obama. Trying to prove Obama wrong somehow, some way, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And also, like, there's also this really contradictory thing that he's doing is, is repressing Muslims, like, in Chechnya and places, like, around Russia, but he's also aiding Iran to build exactly. their exactly. facilities, and he's, exactly right. he's backing Assad. So there's always, no, like, you're this right. double... No, you're right about and that. That's a like, uh, I'm sorry, go on. And there's a lot of, actually, Western, uh, many Western uh, leaders who are actually saying that they can... Uh, buy or push like uh, Muslims into doing wars for themselves, but they forget that they have an agenda on their own. Yeah, absolutely right. And uh, he is in bed with them. Yeah, right. He helps Iran. He helps our our enemies. You know, this is this is the West enemies. And uh, for him not to, you know, for him to get attacked by the same people, the same you know Muslims who. May, I, you, you do know about the Beslan, the Beslan massacre, which was one of the most horrific attacks I think ever, especially oh, yes. since since nine eleven. And he didn't. Uh, I think they got some of them, but they didn't go out and put them down like the mad dogs they are. They didn't do that. They're still active, though, those groups. And he does support Iran, which doesn't make sense. I mean, it doesn't make sense at all, because the, you know Iran is is of the same ideology. It's it's the same threat that that he's facing from those Chechens. But uh, is there any other question, any other comment that you want to make? Uh, no, I just had the last comment. Actually, it was to, uh, it's a, an article that you wrote on Front Page Mag. I think it was in 2011 mm-hmm. uh, about like the non-Muslim Muslims. Yes. Uh, and it really helped me like to understand what were like about this so-called moderate Muslims gang and what like all the ideas around it because it's kind of difficult when you're not from. A Muslim right. country. Like I've lived, I've lived all my life in a relatively Islam-free place, so it was kind right. of difficult to wrap my mind about what, who are those so-called moderate Muslims? Do they even exist? Who are they? Yeah. What are their purpose and what are their place in this whole conflict? And it really helped me, like understanding um, what, what the reality now? What, how should I consider them? I know it's hard. I think it was one of the hardest things to understand for me about Islam. Because yeah. there's a whole deceit, takia stuff that they can right. lie to us all the time. And for someone from, from the Western world, it's really difficult to wrap your mind about this because it's, we are usually raised upon the golden rule of yes. like you don't 
do to someone else what you, you don't want them to right. do to you. Right. So it was one of the hardest concepts. Of course, like I, I understood it pretty quickly, but uh, for some people it can be really difficult to, to accept or they can just keep denying it for a long time because it's just too horrific to actually uh, manage to accept as a truth. And, uh, you're right, and it took me a while as well. I mean, I was, I was born and raised Muslim, but... Um you know, the truth is, even the quote-unquote moderate Muslims are still raised by the same ideology. They're still raised to hate Jews, still raised to mistreat yeah. women, and and raised to admire Adolf Hitler, which is shocking, but it's true. I was, I was raised by a family who admired Adolf Hitler for very Islamic reasons, anti-Semitism, Jew hatred. And uh, I, I don't know, I mean, it's, you know, you hear about these moderate Muslims. I'd like to ask them, if I ever do a debate against a, a one who's quote-unquote moderate Muslim, I'd like to ask him, did your family admire Hitler? He probably he or she would probably say no, and they'd be lying, because it's a fact. Um, yeah. He, you know, they love Hitler because he killed more Jews than anyone. And the only problem some of them have with Hitler is that he didn't kill enough Jews, <laughs> meaning he didn't kill them all. So yeah. that's, it, it, it is definitely a tough pill to swallow, uh, the fact that you've got people, but they are only in the way of seeing the truth. They make, the, they make Islam look, look better. And uh, as I put it there, uh, we are fighting, we're dealing with, with this issue of Muslim roulette. We don't know who's going to hit us until they do, until it's too late. And, um, no, that's it. And I think, the, just like last year, the, the Boston bombings, the guys, yeah. they were studying, I think, at MIT, which is like a very highly uh, rated university in the U.S. Yeah. It's all the best, uh, the best brains who are going there, so... It sort of give a fake impression to people, like because you're studying science or very yes. uh, specific, rational, objective subject that you cannot possibly be an ideological nutcase. But that's nice. not true. I think their mind is very compartmented, so they can they have like a drawer which they put the science and the other one they yes. put the jihad, and like they, right. they never mix up. And so that's why they manage to go through their. That's how they manage to go through their studies on unsuspecting and get really good yes. grades in science, but yep. in, in the other side, they're completely not. And then what happens usually is, it's the same thing happened with the Muhammad Atta, the ringleader of 9-11, and this, this, uh, the Sarnar brothers. Usually when their lives go sour in some way, somehow, is when they fall back and go full-on jihad. Usually something happens like that, and that's when they just snap. And then they embrace the religion fully. They don't pussyfoot around. They embrace it and say, okay, kill the infidels where you find them. That's the core. I'm going to follow it. And they do that, and they kill, and they murder. And we don't know they're coming. I mean, uh, but, you know, there's one thing someone said about the mosques. There's always a mosque with these jihadists, always a mosque. And anywhere, everywhere across the entire world, there's always a mosque. They all go to a particular one. And those imams, who knows if they're encouraging them, who knows if they know, but they have to be looked at differently today. It has to be looked at. Because uh, every 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 mosque has had some jihadists. Had not some. All all jihadists go to mosque, whether they're in America, whether they're uh, Middle East, Europe, and they have to be looked at with a different look post 9/11. And we're not doing that. Uh, as far as I know, we're still allowing Saudi Arabia to open mosque after mosque after mosque post 9/11. Thousands since. It doesn't make sense. But anyway, uh, thanks for calling. I appreciate the call. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm going to take another phone call here. Um, let's see who it is. Uh, hello, who's this? Hi, boss. It's Debbie. Hey, Debbie. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Very good. Thanks for calling. 
It's uh, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's tough to hold a fort without Amy. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, well, you know, I I never cease to be shocked by this evasion of the real nature of Muslims. You, yeah. you know, I would think that by now, I, I mean, I expect it, but it still kind of shocks me on some level that this kind of thing can go on. And, and for instance, I had no idea about this China's 9-11 that you were reading yeah. about earlier. It, did that just not show up? Le- I mean, did I mean I last week, people, no, people have been uh, reporting it, but they leave out the fact that it's Muslims, the fact that it's jihad completely. It's just, it's just some random mass murder in China is what they're saying. And they call them, quote, unquote, separatists. And technically, I guess it's true because they want to separate them, them, themselves from reality, separate them, themselves from uh, Chinese law, I guess. But they're jihadists. And, and the shocking thing to me was finding out that there have been 200 other attacks in the last year alone in China by jihadists. That's just shocking to me that that news has not broken out. Shocking. And it sounds like, from what you said, the Chinese government the Chinese people, they're not really doing anything more about it than we are. Yeah. They're not. That's just right. the world over. People are enabling these killers because nobody yeah. wants to call them killers. I can't, I just can't get my head around that. I mean, yeah, well, I, I guess I, I can't in a way. Like, I mean, as far as the, the moderate Muslims, they, they want to evade it so they can stick with their religion and they don't have to make a change, which is scary and uncomfortable. And, and, the, but I think most, you know, the leftists are worse. The ones oh, yeah. who support it, the secular left, because I think they're attracted to it because of the evil and the killing. No, that the, the, the nihilism. I mean, Obama, there's a reason why Obama has embraced his background of communism and Islam, because they don't really contradict each other in the bottom line. They're both nihilistic. So there's no contradiction about religion. It's, it's a secular and that's religious. Well, they're both nihilistic, and that's the core that Obama embraces. Right, yeah. I mean, they, the left doesn't care why anyone does this mass destruction, just as long as right. it's being done. Absolutely and right. the Muslims, you know, the Muslims are just happy to capitalize on the opportunity that's being afforded them by these nihilists. And, and I think that they would just take the left, all those leftists out once they came oh, into power. Oh, no I mean, doubt about it. Yeah, and maybe, like maybe the, the part that realizes it, maybe the part that realizes that, they're like, ah, so what, you know? I mean, I, I'm not joking. Like, well, you know, life sucks anyway, right? Who knows? I just, yeah. uh, they have to realize that because, you know, the left, uh, they're brutal in their own way, no doubt about it. We know that, historically speaking, but uh, there's nobody more, more brutal than Muslims. I mean, they, they, will, they will butcher you. I mean, they will take out knives at a train station and just slice you to death. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, they had, they had pictures on websites. I'm not going to go look at them. I don't need to see people... You know, beheaded. I don't need to see people who were torn to, to ribbons by Muslims to know that it was a horrific attack. But I, I just, if, if you really think about it, the brutality of it all, eight individuals going out, waiting till people come out of that train and just putting them down for Islamic reasons. I mean, just for Islam, for jihad, for religious reasons. And I don't know what happened to those uh, murders. I don't know if they put them down at the scene. I didn't read enough about that. But, uh, this is being blacked out by the scum media in America and probably the, you know, the West as well. I mean, in general, Europe, I'm not sure. Yeah, that, that particular uh, account, I, I got a really vivid kind of yeah. image in my head. Like I could imagine myself in that scenario, just you're walking down the street and then these guys go 
bonkers like that and start, you know, I just think, like, if that had happened in America, I'm pretty sure someone would have pulled out a gun and taken those that. guys down. Exactly and, right. uh, so, I mean, because that made me think maybe, I don't, I don't hear about Muslims attacking people with blades like that in the U.S. And no. I wonder if that's because of the fact that so many of us have guns. Uh, Probably right. So <clears throat> no, that that sounds right. I'm sorry. Do you have do you have another comment, uh, Debbie? No, no, that's that's all. If you want to call in later, I appreciate it. Thanks for the call. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Take care. All right, everyone. Let me uh, c- continue here, if you don't mind, if you can indulge me as to the reasons why we should not be having Muslim superheroes during a war being waged on us by Muslims. It sounds ludicrous, but this is what's happening. Uh, the the third reason is Islamophilia, not quote unquote Islamophobia, is our problem. Islamophilia, not Islamophobia, is our problem. Uh, then I write in the first pages of the debut story for DC Comics is Muslim Green Lantern. They tried hard. DC tried hard to sell the idea that it's tough to be Muslim in post 9/11 America by making him out to be the victim of Islamophobic attacks over the, over the last uh, oh, since basically since 9/11. And uh, it's embarrassing. It really is. Right out of the gate, to hell with, with the victims. Let's worry about this Muslim's particular feelings about being associated with a religion that attacked us. So um, I said here, forget about the thousands of Americans who were butchered by Muslims and 9-11, D.C. seems to be telling us. Just focus on this poor Muslim victim who's been mistreated by Americans. Since the widespread post-9-11 anti-Muslim backlash that the media, that the scum media... I might add, was bracing for, never came, and it never came, this uh, anti-Muslim backlash that they were almost clamoring for, the left. Uh, Since it never came, Islamophobic, quote-unquote, attacks in the years following have had to be exaggerated or flat-out made up. Even in 2013 U.S. hate crimes, quote-unquote, hate crimes report, Jews are still attacked five times more than Muslims in America. Phobia is an irrational fear about something. Philia is a positive feeling or liking. Why would non-Muslims have a positive feeling towards Islam, especially post-9-11? Why? There's nothing irrational about fearing an irrational ideology that dehumanizes women, Jews, homosexuals, lax Muslims, and non-Muslims. So it's Islamophilia, an uncritical acceptance of a hostile religion that is our problem, not any so-called phobia about it. And I put four, uh, the fourth reason why we should not have Muslim superheroes. The fourth truth, uh, why mainstream comics um, evade... The, the, okay, ten truths mainstream comic books evade to promote Muslim superheroes. Here's the fourth truth. Appeasement doesn't work. The more we say, quote-unquote, Islam, Islam means peace, the more peaceful Islam has become, right? Anyway, and Islam means peace. The fact that DC Comics finds it necessary to have their Muslim Green Lantern be part of not one, but two, popular superhero team series tells me they know this character can't carry his own weight with their readers. The Green Lantern, the Muslim Green Lantern is part of the uh, Green Lantern Corps and the Justice League of America. By the way, they also put him on the cover holding the American flag like Iwo Jima. Just for the record, the Muslim was in front front of the other um, Americans. Anyway, um, let's see. uh, A big reason is that we all know Muslims have done nothing to deserve the constant tributes they receive from us. 
What's the likelihood of Saudi Arabia and Iran publishing comic books with American and Israeli superheroes? I mean, think about that. If we were to take this seriously and say, okay, has this been reciprocated from the Muslim world? As likely as Obama becoming a born-again capitalist, our appeasement has turned the enemy's hatred of us into contempt. And now, Marvel Comics will debut its new female Muslim superhero in her own comic book, which I mentioned before, but she'll be given the name of an established pre-existing superhero, Miss Marvel, in order to give her a leg up. I expect this character to, to join the Avengers or some other popular Marvel superhero group in no time, which might keep her own series afloat for longer than it would otherwise. Uh, let me continue, and then let me, let me add something after. And let's say she ends up in the Avengers comic book. I can already see activist Muslims, Muslim groups petitioning Marvel Comics to put her in an Avengers film. And if it doesn't happen soon, they'll cry Islamophobia, of course. Marvel, on giving this unearned tribute to Islam, has now opened the door to Muslims demanding a male Muslim superhero as well. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's a female Muslim superhero. Imagine the Muslim males. Like, what the hell is this? Female Muslim superhero? Where's the guy? Or maybe just convert Spider-Man to, to become Muslim. Then we'll be placated for a minute. Um, and after that, there could even be a talk about why it is that one of the great superhero icons hasn't converted Islam yet, and so on. Again, where is the equivalent of this in the quote-unquote Muslim world? Uh, I remember after one of my talks, it was at the University of Maryland School of Law. Um, I gave a talk there, and uh, it, it, just, just to mention, in the middle of a talk, I went to draw Muhammad. And I found out, looking at some of them, I could tell that some might have been Muslim, but I found out for sure at the end that they were Muslim. And uh, fortunately, they were moderate Muslims because they didn't come and try to cut my head off after I drew Muhammad on, the, on, on, on stage. But my point was to say, we can draw Muhammad. We have the right to. No one can stop us. We have the freedom to do that. It wasn't just a stunt. I, uh, I've asked uh, talk show hosts if I can go on their, on their shows <laughs> and do that, and I haven't, I haven't heard back. But uh, let me just say, after one of my talks, one where I drew Muhammad in front of the audience, uh, an attendee made the observation that it's we who are putting sheep's clothing on wolves, on the jihadists, not them. And I turned that into one of my, into one of my cartoons, where there's a liberal walking up, he's putting a sheepskin coat on a Muslim, he goes, ah, nice, and he slaps on the back, and the guy t- you know, claws on the back, he starts to tear him up. Uh, it's an interesting way of looking at it. We're putting, um, wolves, we're, we're putting sheep's clothing on wolves. It's a very, very good analogy. Uh, okay, five. Islam doesn't sell. Islam doesn't sell, from Muhammad to today's Islamic comics. Muhammad was only able to sell Islam to around 150 people in, quote, 13, quote, unquote, peaceful, a.k.a. powerless years. Only after he revealed himself to be a murderous sore loser did he attract a following of the cutthroats who be led in forcing large masses to submit to Islam, which brings us to today. Islam does not sell, even when it's whitewashed. The Muslim comic book publisher behind the 99... The, the 99, by the way, is a Muslim superhero team uh, that I, I guess purportedly has 99 Muslim superheroes who have the power of all these different attributes of Allah that they embody. And uh, the the creator was one named Dr. Naif al-Mutawa. Now, he's uh, he, he was living here in America. He went to Kuwait right after 9-11, which is curious to me. Anyway, so the Muslim comic book publisher behind the 99, Dr. Naif Al-Mutawa, assures us that there is no religion in his comics, um, no praying in it, etc., as do the female Muslim editor and female Muslim writer behind Miss Marvel. 
But that's not, necess- that's not necessary when the entire point of his venture is to, quote, push Muslim superheroes. Not to tell good, good stories, not to have good art, uh, that the writing and art are mediocre hits the point home further. This series is one Muslim's attempt at normalizing Islam in the West via pop culture. But even though he was able to shake down DC Comics after Marvel passed, you know, this is what happened. Uh, Al Batalo went to DC and uh, he started mentioning the fact that he'd like to have Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman in, the, in his comic. And I guess they bent over. They put no defense. They didn't say, well, who are you? Why? You know, they said, okay, take it. As if I could walk into DC and say, hey, you know what? I want to have uh, Superman team up with Pigman. He needs a little muscle in his one uh, attack on the, on the enemy. So can I borrow Superman for a little? Maybe even Batman, whatever. Wonder Woman. As if. I mean, think about that. A Muslim can do that to promote Islam, but I can't to promote the West against Islam. Anyway, as I was saying, um, but yeah, so even though he was able to shake down DC Comics as, after Marvel passed, Marvel passed then, but now they have their own Muslim superhero, by getting them to agree to have Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, who was conveniently covered up for more than usual during the series, yeah, she was uh, right about right before the series came out in the Wonder Woman comic, she started wearing a full jacket covering her arms, pants. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny, but she was covered up more than, more than ever. Let's say, you know, let's say, uh, before that series debuted, so they can have her wearing that during that series, during that limited series, and then come back. Um, in the meantime, if anyone wants to call in, you can call in 760-888-5817-760-888-5810. This is Bosch Falson, cartoonist filling in for Amy Peikoff uh, of Don't Let It Go Unheard. And just just a record, uh, I've been I've been thinking about uh, having my own blog, my own blog, excuse me, my own um, uh, podcast on Block Talk Radio, and I think I may do that soon, probably within a month. And my working title is called uh, "Things That Make My Blood Boil." Things that make my blood boil. And uh, there was something that Rand wrote a number of years ago about if you're stuck on something, start thinking about what makes your blood boil, and you can start writing based on that. And that's pretty good advice. Uh, there are a lot of things that make your blood boil uh, these days, so I think it's appropriate title. And uh, let me continue here, uh, reading from my piece, 10 Truths Mainstream Comic Books Evade to Promote Muslim Superheroes. And uh, this one part, I wanted to mention the end of the fifth truth, which is uh, the fact that this comic, even though it had Superman, Batman, Woman, and Wonder Woman, uh, coupled with the Muslim superheroes, uh, bombed in the marketplace. Uh, so even the big three super icons, along with the leftist media support you'd expect, couldn't lift the 99 Muslim superheroes to success. The sixth reason, the sixth truth is Islam is contrary to liberal values. Islam is contrary to liberal values. Islam is fundamentally illiberal, but that doesn't stop, that doesn't matter to liberals in a comic book industry, or if it does, you'd never hear them say so. While they claim to value free speech, women's rights, homosexual rights, tolerance, quote-unquote, etc., they throw it all out uh, the window when it comes to Islam. They give the most illiberal culture in the world a pass out of hypocrisy and cowardice. You should check out Amy's piece at her blog uh, called Liberals Ten Commandments at her Don't Let It Go blog. It's called Liberals Ten Commandments, which... Uh, says puts this very well and let me continue in terms of how different quote-unquote the muslim world is from ours consider how we habitually refer to it as quote-unquote the muslim world it's a way of recognizing how separate how alien that part of the world is to america to the west we're taught to value human life 
Muslims are taught to value Islam above all. Islam. We see Hitler as an icon of evil. Muslims see him as their favorite infidel. And uh, if you don't, if you haven't seen my visual about that, just type in uh, Islam's favorite infidel and you'll see it. It's a pretty, um, a pretty good um, breakdown of of that idea. I said, uh, then I, I continue. I grew up in New York and had Muslim had had family members who were merely lax Muslims, and who nonetheless admired Adolf Hitler. I was reminded of that after 9/11 when I read a Palestinian quote unquote say that while Hitler was good, he didn't kill enough Jews, meaning he didn't kill all Jews. As for women's rights, they're non-existent in the quote unquote Muslim world. Um, let me uh, read a little from the chat room. I'm sorry, everyone. Uh, I'm still trying to figure things out here. But let me read a little. Um, let's see. Um, these were being written as I was reading. Uh, Mark writes, uh, I recall in Toronto a day after the heroic arrest of the Toronto 18 who were foiled in an attempt to blow up Ontario, Ontario Parliament and the city's tallest, tallest office building. The front page of the Toronto Star ran a feature about a brick thrown through the window of a Toronto mosque and a sad-looking bearded imam. Clearly, this broken window is the biggest story here. Exactly. Exactly. Just something comes to mind. Um, uh, when when the when Congress tried to get Lois Lerner of the IRS to sit and basically <laughs> tell the truth about what she was up to, she pleaded the fifth again. And uh, what's his name? Elijah Cummings? I, I don't know his name. Cummings. He's, uh, I think, uh, a congressman started yelling, saying that it was, uh, I forgot what term he used, but anyway, he was trying to get the story off, and the story became him yelling and, and him getting his mic cut off, and and uh, Daryl Issa, the, the Republican who was trying to do the hearing, uh, being called a racist for it. Basically, that's the story, not the fact that the head of the IRS at, at that time was hunting, going after conservatives, specifically, but that uh, a microphone was cut off from this one loudmouth who was calling him a racist for not letting her talk. Anyway, or something he was calling him. Uh, McCarthy or something. Uh, Mark adds, nothing was a better illustration of our media's obsession with portraying us as the aggressors. Right. Absolutely right. And uh, let's see here. So speaking from my own experience, I can only name maybe a handful of, of my male Muslim relatives who didn't beat their wives. That's no joke. Um, that's why anti-Semitism, uh, Jew hatred, misogyny, uh, they go deep, even in the quote-unquote moderate Muslims. And it can't be moderate Jew hatred. It can't be moderate misogyny, moderate wife be- beaten. It's actual, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's as real as it gets. There's nothing moderate about it. And these are people who would never go uh, become jihadists, uh, at least in the majority of them. I don't know of any who did. I, I, I doubt they have, but who knows? Who knows? I, I don't know personally if any of my relatives have. Um, I know that one of my relatives uh, started wearing a headscarf right after 9-11. <laughs> I guess, it, I don't know, it intimidated her neighbors. I don't know what the hell that was about. But anyway, um, so let me just say here, uh, I can only name a number of them. And, and yet, I said homosexuals are murdered by... Homosexuals are murdered for being homosexuals and liberals are silent. And yet this is the culture to which our biggest comic publishers pay tribute. These are the same publishers run by those who profess to hold liberal values. This is not simply cowardice on the part of Marvel and DC. This is super cowardice. Absolute super cowardice. If anyone wants a call again, you can call at um, 760-888-5817. 
Thanks for indulging me, everyone. Uh, I think this is the best way I, I could do it because I can go on so many tangents. At least I can stick to one issue at a time here. And I'll be done with this soon. And then I can move on to a different story having to do with Ted Cruz and some others. Uh, seven, um, Islam is contrary to the superhero tradition that was built by, quote, the descendants of apes and pigs. You know who the descendants of apes and pigs are? You know who refers to them as such? Uh, Jews are the descendants of apes and pigs according to the Quran, according to the holy book of Muslims. So I, I say, while American superheroes, most of them created by Jews, and that's a fact, most, if not all, of the early ones were created by Jews, were fighting Nazis in comic books during World War II. Most of, if not all, the superheroes were fighting Nazis during, in comic books during World War II. The quote-unquote Muslim world allied with Nazis in real life. Terrorist Yasser Arafat's uncle, the grand quote-unquote Mufti of Jerusalem, uh, was in Germany trying to his best to expedite the Holocaust, complaining that the Germans were too lazy to get the job done in time. He was like, what the hell, guys? We've got to get this done. Move, move, move. Uh, the, the creators of Superman, Batman, and Cat America were all Jews, or as the Quran refers to them, the descendants of apes and pigs. To see this quote-unquote Muslim superhero unquote trend take place in a medium built by Jews during a time of war where Jews are targeted more than others is particularly disgusting and disturbing. Superheroes were a way for cartoonists in World War II to smash our enemies vicariously to give themselves and their readers a much-needed taste of victory against them while the war was on. Can you imagine Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, instead of creating Cat America in order to fight Nazis in World War II, created a German hero while ignoring Nazis in World War II? That's as likely as Obama t t talking up America as much as he praised Islam. Uh, I, re I refer to, to Obama as Islam's bitch, by the way. Check out that, that cartoon as well. Uh, eight, good Muslims by our standards are bad Muslims by Islamic standards. The jihadists are Islam's heroes. The jihadists are Islam's heroes. Um, so a Muslim superhero, quote-unquote, if at all devout, would not act like your average non-Muslim superheroes, the way the current Muslim superheroes, quote-unquote, are behaving in their comic books. They would act in the name of Islam. And that means acting in ways that are antithetical to the American way. They would do things that Islam commands that they do. And the more devout, the more potentially dangerous the, quote-unquote, Muslim superhero would be to non-Muslims. Being a jihadist, fighting, killing, dying in the name of Allah is the pinnacle of being a Muslim. That is the top. I mean, if you think about it, uh, you know, we think about the great successes of individuals, Steve Jobs, Michael Jordan, Ayn Rand, all these great individuals. We think of them as great successes in, in our culture. In Islam, it's jihadists. That is who they uphold. That is who are the heroes. They are Islam's heroes. Um, so let me continue and when people say, quote, not all Muslims are terrorists, unquote, as if they've stopped your argument cold, you need to remind them that not all of us are soldiers as well. Heroes are a small minority in any culture, and the same goes for Islam, whose heroes are the jihadists. What a liberal considers to be, quote, unquote, Muslim superior, and what a Muslim superior would be, according to Islam, are two completely different things. Let me reiterate. Let me reiterate. A hero by Islamic standards is a villain by Western standards. Islam's heroes are our villains. And now I got the last two. Number nine, you can't insert 9-11 into a superhero world without avenging it. I mean, consider that. After a dozen years, DC Comics finally acknowledges 9-11 in its, in, in its comic books, but keeps its Muslim superhero from retaliating against those who have, quote-unquote, hijacked Islam. 
Of course, the jihadists haven't hijacked Islam, but that's the premise of the Muslim superior, that they're the good Muslims, the true representatives of, of the religion and peace, while the true believers are just a small minority of, of extremists. This is the premise that DC wants to implicitly push, but never explicitly put to the test, so they avoid it altogether, missing the opportunity to go down a dishonest path that would inevitably lead them to the truth they want to avoid. DC Comics used to publish a comic book called The Brave and the Bold. Used to. And the final reason, the final truth, out of ten truths mainstream comic books evade remote Muslim superiors is Pigman. Quote, you're the reason why I won't feel bad when we all die in a nuclear holocaust. Unquote. That was one liberal's response, the most unhinged I've ever gotten to my Pigman work. I ended up using it as a blurb uh, for the infidel number two, which you can get on the Comicsology, by the way, infidel number one and two. I have two chapters out there so far. Hope to get the, the third one out some, someday. Uh, Pigman, or as the jihadist's enemy refers to him, the beast is my anti-jihad superhero. I created him after 9-11 when I thought about what would be the last thing in the world the enemy would want to face. So I thought up a big, ruthless, American ex-Muslim who knows the enemy's language in more ways than one, and it dresses up in pigskin leather, hell-bent on making the enemy pay for their lives, pay with their lives for 9-11. As he puts it in chapter one, Pigman says, uh, they've come to kill us and will die for it. And even though the comic book industry has done its best to ignore Pigman, they couldn't do that the night I ended up on, on, the, on the Daily Show. Check out my full accounts on my blog, uh, Pigman. Pigman is on a Daily Show. I think that's that, that called. Or you can look up, uh, just, just Google my name and, and the Daily Show. The West's quote-unquote Muslim superheroes exist in order to deny the need for anti-jihad superheroes, and pigmen exist in order to show how we should respond, at least in fiction, any enemy who forces average Americans to jump from skyscrapers to their deaths. And there's another character in pigmen's world, one who is determined to become the ideal Muslim, one who is determined to be the champion of, quote, the Muslim world, unquote. And once he achieves that state, he naturally becomes pigmen's archenemy. His name is Super Jihad, and he represents what a true, quote-unquote, Muslim super would be like if one is honest about the nature of Islam and its jihad. So uh, thanks, everyone, for indulging me here. I, I appreciate it. Um, that was my piece, Ten Truths, Mainstream Comic Books Evade to Promote Muslim Superheroes. I read that in the wake of the uh, massacre in China, in the wake of the uh, Islamophilic uh, film by uh, Liam Neeson, where the good guy is uh, a bereaved member of the 9-11 attacks, an uh, American soldier, and one of the helpers of the hero is uh, a Muslim, the nicest guy in the world. This is what's happening while we're facing uh, Muslims uh, every single day, killing infidels in the name of Islam. Uh, so I want to also just mention something here about our uh, anti-Semite in chief, Barack Obama. I had a cartoon about three years ago called Anti-Semite Chief. I don't know if we, I think some people were a little put off by it. When he keeps proving that he is uh, an anti-Semite, he hates Jews, maybe from his Islamic upbringing, who knows. But he does not like Israel. And here he is uh, this week. He tells Israel via some back channels that they should stop killing Iranian nuclear scientists. He tells Israel that they should stop killing Iranian nuclear scientists. And to me, that, that says it all. His hostility to Israel, to Jews, 
to those who want to live in peace and defend themselves against there would be annihilators like Iran. So Obama is basically telling us, uh, telling uh, Israel, stop killing those who are going to most help Iran nuke you. Stop. Because that's the only reason. I mean, what the hell reason would they stop doing that? Why? Why would he want them to stop doing that? Who is he to even tell them that? Sick stuff. And uh, I don't know if you know about Pat Condell. He's a British comedian. He's an atheist. He has a website called uh, the Godless Comedy. The Godless Comedy of uh, Pat Condell. And uh, he had this uh, great uh, response to Muslims. And uh, if you indulge me, again, if you don't mind, if I could play some of it, uh, I'll see if I could play all of it and maybe put pause here and there and talk a little about it as we go on. And then I'll talk about Ted Cruz uh, as the final story, which is, you know, Amy likes to end, on, end, end off on, on a good note, and that'll be definitely a good note. So let's see if this works. Uh, this is uh, Pat Condell. Uh, his message to offended Muslims. And uh, let me play it now. Well, it's been so long since we heard from any offended Muslims, I was beginning to think that they'd come to their senses and realize that nobody outside the media bubble gives a damn how they feel about anything. But no, they're back, and suddenly it seems like every time you turn around, there's a new group of hysterical Muslims demanding apologies and retribution over some trivial matter that nobody in their right mind would dream of taking seriously, whether it's a pop music video or a satirical newspaper article or the ever-reliable cartoon of Muhammad. That's the Prophet Muhammad, of course. You must have heard of him and wished you hadn't. Well, I don't think it's fair that Muslims should carry so much of the burden of being offended by stuff. It's not doing much for their reputation, so I think the rest of us should show them some support by being offended too whenever possible. We all have the right to be offended, of course, and uh, now that Islam is here throwing its weight around, we all have plenty to be offended about, so what are we waiting for? Uh, I'll get the ball rolling then, shall I? Okay, well, I'm offended by Islamic supremacism, a bit of an obvious one, admittedly, especially when they lie about it and call it multiculturalism. That really offends me. I'm offended by the sneaky way Islamic activists exploit Western guilt to invoke a spurious victimhood and claim multiple concessions that impinge on the lives of others, ridiculous concessions that no other religion would get or even ask for. Special food that everyone has to eat, special clothes that threaten the security of others, special social... Sorry, I'm going to stop it for one second and just say, I don't know if I could add to anything he's been saying. He's great. And uh, he's an atheist, and he doesn't like any religion, but he, Islam is his main focal point. I mean, his main attack is against Islam, naturally, because, you know, it's like people say, why don't you attack other religions? Well, when other religions start attacking me in serious ways, I will do that. Right now, it's Islam. So let me just continue. Yeah, it's a few minutes. Conditions that insult and divide people unnecessarily. Special conditions at work that tread on everyone else's toes, and special treatment before the law. If you burn a Quran in Britain, you'll be arrested as a criminal. If you burn a Bible, you won't. I'm offended by that. I'm offended by Islamic values generally. I find them deeply morally offensive. Profoundly so when it comes to women. I would like to tell you just how offensive, but I don't have the vocabulary to really do it justice. So let's just say that on a scale of offense from 1 to 10, I'd put it at around, oh, 100, no, 1,000. So if you're a potentially offended Muslim, rest assured that nothing I say about your religion could possibly offend you any more than your religion has already offended me many, many times over. I'd be offended by all means if that's what you want to do, but uh, 
A word to the wise, whatever you do, don't embarrass yourself by making up a phony mental illness and trying to pin it on people to shut them up. Oh, too late, you already have. How deeply humiliating for you and how offensive to the rest of us. In fairness, we should be grateful that most of the Muslims who live in Britain are not that easy to offend. If they were, we wouldn't be able to do or say anything at all because virtually everything about Western society offends the religion of Islam. So any Muslim who really wants to be offended only has to walk down the street and he can be in high dudgeon before he reaches the corner. So we should be glad that most of them are not like that. But some are, and one is too many. By the way, you'll notice that I said he just now. Of course, I realize that there are female Muslims who like to be offended, but we have to remember that a woman is worth only half a man, and I don't want to shortchange anybody here. If you're a Muslim who lives in Britain, and if you find that your beliefs get insulted now and then, well, that's not very nice, but my advice is to laugh it off and forget about it. Mark it down to the robust exchange of ideas and opinions that have made Western society the most vibrant and successful on the planet, and thank your lucky stars you live here, as I do, every day. If your beliefs get insulted a lot, on the other hand, well, that's a different matter, but it's got nothing to do with anybody else having a phobia. It's because there's something wrong with your beliefs, and if you can't see that, then there's something wrong with you. You are the one with the phobia. You are the one with the mental disorder. You are the one with the problem. And you and your beliefs are the problem for everyone else. And I'm talking here specifically to the professional crybabies of Islam, people like the Muslim Council of Britain and all these other self-appointed loudmouths who grab every opportunity, however ridiculous or artificial, to be offended. Let me do you people a favor by telling you what the media wouldn't dream of telling you because it's the truth. Nobody cares about your feelings. We're all sick and tired of hearing about you and your poxy feelings. We look at the trivial things that offend you and the vile things that don't offend you, and we have nothing but contempt for you and your feelings. We're glad you're offended, and we hope you work yourself into such a state of righteous apoplexy that you literally explode. But most of all, we wish, oh, how we wish, that you would take that goddamn religion of yours and those precious feelings and shove them right up your Kyber Pass. That's how people in Britain really feel, and if you don't believe me, just ask them, preferably in a pub, as alcohol, God bless it, has a way of bringing out the truth, feelings or no feelings. Islam's reputation is being cemented today for generations to come by this current crop of professional complainers and privilege seekers. It's almost as if they want their religion to be unpopular. How else do you explain their behavior? Are they really too stupid to see the damage they're doing? Or are they just too happy wallowing in their fake victimhood to care? Every decent Muslim in Britain should be cursing these people, these self-appointed community leaders who claim to represent them, yet whose behavior has made their religion so resented and so despised. These people are the reason that so many of us in the West, who were formerly neutral about Islam, now feel that we've seen its true, intolerant, ugly, devious face, and we will never trust it or respect it again. That's what these people have done for your religion, Muslims. With friends like that, who needs the BNP?
And that's it. That's uh, Pat Condell. I don't know what to add to that. The guy's brilliant. Um, he just, uh, again, he's he's an atheist. He's uh, usually against all religion, but uh, his main target of late in the last few years at least has been Islam, naturally. Why? Because Islam has been targeting all of us. And so the only thing I can add to that is amen. Amen. Uh, let me change something here. Let me let me change a little pace here and go to uh, Amy's blog where she talked about uh, the Oscars a little and uh, a few things that jumped out. Um, besides uh, Amy Adams' uh, beautiful gown, which I got to say, I'm not into <laughs> ladies' dresses, but uh, Amy cites uh, her gown and says, uh, if anyone wants to send it over, they, they can do that. It is it's, it's gorgeous. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's very, very nicely put together. And uh, the one thing that, that, that jumped out, um, Amy says, the good about the Oscars, this, the acceptance speech by Matthew McConaughey, and she puts in parentheses, sorry, but I could not find a video acceptable. Let me go on. While, a, Amy writes, while I don't share McConaughey's belief in God, I love that he was so matter-of-fact in stating, one, the importance of his mother teaching him self-respect. You know, uh, McConaughey's mom demanded that him and his brother have self-respect. Two, that the people he most hoped to make proud were his wife and three kids. And three, that his quote-unquote hero, the one who he's always chasing, is an idealized version of himself, as he imagines himself to be in ten years. And uh, Amy writes, although he's religious, McConaughey seems to understand to a significant extent what Ayn Rand described as the virtue of pride. And she writes, she continues, it's not surprising that in a recent interview with GQ, he embraced the word selfish. McConaughey embraced the word selfish. So, quote, he says, uh, McConaughey, in the interview, I'm a fan of the word selfish, and he emphasized it, self-ish. He, re- he repeats, drawing it out. When I say I have gotten a lot more selfish, I mean I am less concerned with what people think of me. I'm not worried about how I'm perceived. Selfish has always gotten a bad rep. You should do for you. I wanted new experiences. And uh, Amy continues, it's good to see someone embrace the term selfish and even better to see him go on to win an Oscar. Absolutely true. I think it's great. And uh, then there's a little uh, semi-scandal here with the, you know, with the Oscars, with the film 12 Years a Slave. Uh, two of the Oscar voters admit, at least two of them, admit uh, to voting for 12 Years a Slave without seeing the film. You know, they didn't see the film, but they voted for it for Best Picture and I guess best director, because it's uh, about slavery and blacks, and they want to be as politically correct as possible. And it's sad because uh, other movies might have gotten the the edge if people were more honest about it, if they had seen the film. And that's just two who admitted to it. Who knows what else? And uh, there was a, a pretty ugly campaign that the studio had for the film, also Twelve Years Slave, which it was uh, two uh, two words. It's time. They're saying it's time. With the implication being that it's time that a film um, about slavery wins an Oscar. I mean, I I don't know what that means. I mean, 40 years ago, the TV show Roots was a great success. It was excellent. Well done. I've never seen it. And uh, now they're telling us it's time. I guess it's time for what? For a film about slavery to win an Oscar? If it's a great film, sure. I haven't seen the film. Unlike uh, dealers, I'm not going to vote. You know, vote voted in without without having seen it. But um, that's what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with politically correct people at the Oscars. And uh, Seven says that Ellen Ellen DeGeneres said it at the beginning. I think she even uh, said something about uh, that there'll be racists 
if they don't um, if they don't, if, if they don't vote for it if it doesn't win Best Picture. And uh, let me let me read actually from Breitbart: Two Oscar voters admit choosing Twelve Years Slave without actually seeing it. Uh, written by Christian Toto. Uh, he goes, the film 12 Years Slave captured the horrors inflicted on a free black man after he was kidnapped, beaten, and forced to work as a slave. American Hustle's horrors involved bad perms, wince-inducing 70s fashion, and a character faking a British accent to separate strangers from their money. This year's battle for the Best Picture Oscar pitted an quote-unquote important film, unquote, uh, versus an entertaining one, and American Hustle didn't stand a chance. We all know we all know now that Slave came away with the Best Picture Oscar Sunday night. The LA Times reveals that at least two I'm going to add at least two Oscar voters admitted to choosing the harrowing the the harrowing uh, slave drama without actually seeing it. Were those voters alone in their actions? And how much did selecting an quote unquote important movie outweigh the film's artistic merits? Oscars uh, host Ellen DeGeneres hinted at the matter during her opening monologue, joking that those who don't vote for Twelve Years a Slave are racist. The line got a laugh, but in light of the voters' revelations, the matter isn't so funny, at least for the creative team behind American Hustle. Hollywood's diversity track record remains awful despite Slave's uh, Oscar triumph, whatever that means. The industry rarely hires people of color for key positions, a subject which came up repeatedly in the months leading up to Oscar night. See, now, I even take exception to that. You want the best people for the job. If they happen to be blacks, great. If they don't, what are you going to do? Hire them on the basis of their skin? That's that's crap. Anyway, so uh, he goes, a symbolic vote for a film like Slave won't change that. Real change needs to happen within the industry, something that won't occur by Oscar votes. Oscar voters selecting films they think will absolve the industry's guilt regarding race matters. See, I guess this guy's buying into that whole thing as well. Um, uh, Daniel writes, Bosch, they meant, quote, unquote, it's time once again, unquote. They passed you the spiritual collection plates and um, haven't noticed that it's your responsibility to help fill it. Right. Uh, seven writes, possibility number one, 12 Years a Slave wins Best Picture, uh, DeGeneres said. Possibility number two, you're all racist. Right. Right. Thanks. Thanks for the actual quote. And uh, if anyone wants to call again, uh, actually, let's see. I might have uh, someone here, a surprise, call, a surprise caller. One second. Let me see. Hello? Hello. Who's this? <laughs> uh, this is the host of this show. What are you doing? <laughs> I kidnapped you. I mean, damn. I, I guess you got free. I did. I got free. So how, how's it going? I guess pretty good. I mean, I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm a little, you know, nervous, but I want, I want it to be good. I read my 10 Truths piece. Uh, I broke it down here and there. I did put Pat Condell's uh, audio. And then I actually stopped at one point to say, I have, I have really nothing to ask. So let, me, let me just play it. So I guess it's a cop-out, but it was so good. The only thing I really have to say to that is, is amen. But overall, this, this, this is tough. You do, you do a great job, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, it's a lot easier. There's two people going back and forth. Talk radio yeah, is a yeah. lot easier. On those days, you know, even though I'm, quote, the host and I have things organized and planned, on the days yeah. that you're not there, I find it difficult. I find it yeah. difficult just from an energy perspective to do it. Right. So thanks for holding now, me on the floor. Hey, thanks for having me. I mean, seriously, you could have just, you know, had it uh, just just didn't, you know, not even run it. But but thanks. I mean, it's it's, it's a good experience. I do want to start that one podcast. My, my podcast will be a little different, more about pop culture, culture, art, entertainment. But... Uh, I, I enjoy doing your show, and um, 
this is that, that definitely tough. Definitely tough. Have, have people called in? Have people called they in have. to support yeah, you? Yeah, I got, okay. I got some good good callers, some good comments, which is great. No one has said good job, but that's you know that's fine. I mean, you know, I get it. I, <laughs> well, you know, you know, you're not here. You're done. With us. Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe you. Um, I mean, no, I, me no, I, I definitely have some crutches. I'm sorry. Let me, okay, let me ask you a question sure. that has come up in the seminar that I'm attending right now, okay? okay? And tell me what you think of this, because I found it rather intriguing. Um, yeah. The guy who's leading the seminar that I'm attending, it's a more pop culture oriented. It's about movies and screenplays and such. He says that today, more than any time in the past, you know, this wasn't this way in the past. He says today, if people insult a movie that you love, that you take it personally, that you feel that they are insulting you. And he said the reason that is is that people today basically see their identities as somehow they see it through other people's creative products. So they see themselves as, I am the kind of person who likes the Beatles. I am the kind of person who loved the Titanic or whatever it was. And they, they don't, I guess, make their own identity. You know, the, mm. to, to me, you know, in, in an objectivist term, we might say, okay, they're second-handed in a way. Right. But they, they, right. they, they, they identify themselves through the creative products of other people. And he says that that's unprecedented, you know, that this is something newer, mm-hmm. and right. that it is bad. He believes that, of course, that it's bad. Um, which I think is good. You know, this uh, this seminar presenter is kind of a mixed bag. In some ways, he's right. super excellent and perceptive, and in other ways, I don't like his politics at all. Oh, and no doubt. This, you know, this is this is how it goes. But I thought that was interesting. I mean, do you do you think that that's true? Uh, I has think that been so. True, basically, for our entire lives, so that we don't really know any difference. I don't know. I mean, I just it, it's something that I guess the, the modern era people not. Reading, not learning philosophy, not having a solid morality, not having a way of life. They they pick up from things that they like, and I, I mean, when you say they identify with these films, like that's they take it so personally because it's it's personal to them. This is their philosophy in some way. They might have a character that they latch on. Oh, that's my philosophy, without not explicitly saying it, but implicitly saying so. Which, right. which is sad. I mean, which is which is sad because a lot of movies don't have great heroes. They don't have people who. You know, exemplify the great values that 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 we want to live by. Um, it, it is but, sad. But you know, but what, other, what do you say? About the it? other thing, well, you know, the the idea of really identifying so personally with cultural products yeah. and clinging clinging onto them as if that is, you know, that represents your values as if, in life. As if that defines and, you. Yeah. Right. As if that defines you, I kind of see it as evidence of the declining culture. You know, we were, we were talking mm. about the fact that we are on our way to a dark age, in effect, and there's so many people who recognize that there's something horribly wrong in the world, but they don't know what it is, you know, et cetera. One of the signs of that could indeed be that people are clinging on to cultural products out there, art of all kinds, right. as... Right the way that they can see their values played out in the world because the ability to create values in the world has been cut off by oppressive government and everything else these days. So uh, that's how I saw it. I saw it as immediately people are, are turning to culture as 
the vehicle by which they experience the achievement of values because that's been cut off in in the world. Not that it's like some random choice that, oh, kids today are making, you know, that they see themselves as the person but, who likes the Beatles or whatever band. But I'll tell you something about the power of story, the power of stories. You know, Ayn Rand, learning her philosophy through the Fountainhead, through Atlas Shrugged was, I mean, incredible. It was, it was, it was a more profound taken than just reading some, some, some of her nonfiction writing. There's something to it. But, of course, there's a philosophy right. there. These, these movies don't, don't have that. It's a two-hour film. They don't have, they don't, they're not expressing a philosophy. But no joke, no joke, there were some rappers who based their philosophy on Scarface. Scarface. Mm-hmm. Meaning what? Are they going to kill people? Are they going to become drug dealers? I, I mean, I don't know what they mean by that, that they based their life on, on, on that movie. I don't know what that means. Uh, you know, again, but, I just think that, you know, because he, he talks a lot about this idea of see with protagonists in film and yeah. that basically the audience will put themselves put themselves in the shoes of the protagonist and that... I guess emotionally, the, naturally, what, what, whatever, emotionally, whatever naturally. It is, yeah, but whatever it is that the protagonist is pursuing is a metaphor for whatever you see yourself pursuing in life. So... So again, I, I think if, if people are really identifying more with movies and other cultural products today, that they're seeing their identity is wrapped up in those things way more than they used to, I think it's because that is the only avenue where they can actually, you know, or not actually, but a lot of people can experience more value, pursuit, and achievement in art. Interesting. And not yeah. as much in life, right? And and the other thing I, that I used to hear was that, um, you know, if you, for instance, write a novel, right, that the sales of books and movies almost increase during a depression or a recession. Right. And I think it's right. precisely because people, they want to see value pursued out there and everything's being cut off for them. So, you know, in Obama's America, even more so today, you know, we're going to see that. So I, I don't know. I just thought it was a really interesting observation. It got me, got no, me thinking it, about this. It definitely is. Uh, he's, he's great. But, um, no, you're right about that. Uh, and in today's world, you're right. Uh, a lot of people are not going out there achieving. I remember this one artist saying something. He said something about the fact that he loves experiencing others' comic books, but not almost not as much as he as his own as he makes them and that to me i find very very strange you know what i mean he enjoys others work more than his own more than making it i mean look it's a process it is tough sometimes but once you achieve that is it's unlike anything that you've read i mean you you created this you know from what i gather i ran i ran you to even reread I was shrugged at times because there was nothing right, in the I culture mean, I've, that I've that, that, that can like for you know, for instance, Leonard Peikoff would talk about after he finished a book, he couldn't really enjoy it for many years, and then many yeah. years later he could go back and read it. But maybe, but maybe if, 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 you, if put, it was fiction, maybe if it was fiction, it might be, have a different attitude about it. Maybe, maybe for the story. But I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm not a I'm not a fiction writer, but I'm sitting here listening to you know what goes into that. And it sounds like if you do it correctly, the way this guy has done it, and if you do it intensively and yeah. really plow through a piece of work over several years or something, 
that you have, you know, by whatever you have that has remained on the page is about one twentieth of what you've thought about. Right. And you you've gone through so many decision making and considered all the different possibilities and then I I could see, you know, maybe you'd say, Okay, well I've I saw so much of what, you know, the background of that was that I can't just sit back and enjoy it the way that I can enjoy the final product of somebody else's hard work and thinking and I guess, but I, I think, I, I think, I could, I think I, this guy was being self-degrading. I think he was actually put, put himself down. That's just my assumption. Because, I mean, yeah. and, and, and for a gather, I don't remember the guy's work, so I don't remember it being great at all. I, in other words, I don't remember any great artist ever saying that, ever. You know? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I think, you know, again, I think, you know, Rand was always happy to see a oh, great... No doubt about it you know, novel or, or book or anything else but that the experience, wasn't hers. But, but the experience but, of creating your own, I mean, yeah. this, it's, it's oh, yeah. you know, it's a whole different thing. It's, this, this is yours. It's, it comes from, from scratch. This is you in, in book form. I think that's a whole difference. But, I mean, let's, let's pick us up next week. We definitely can. I mean, you know, the uh, opposite of, of what you just described with that carrot, with that guy, yeah. uh, the opposite of that is McConaughey, right? I was surprised to hear anyone, I mean, especially a kid, right? He was a kid when the person he described in his acceptance speech came up to him and asked him the question, who is your hero? Who in the world, when asked the question, who is your hero, says, my hero is not somebody in history or out in the world now, my hero is an idealized version of myself, which is essentially what he said. He said, myself as I imagine I would be in 10 years yep. or whatever it is. Right. Hero is in that, uh, who says that? Yeah. I, I mean, I remember, ha- I remember having that thought when I was young, basically projecting to the, to the point where we'll, we'll ever meet my best self, my, you know what I mean? And that's, that's the idea that you want. You want to reach to a level that, you know, and, and that's what you want to do. It's like, Aristotle, when he said about writing things, you can you go to the end of the story, you go to the end of your life, and then you pull, and then you look back, and you want to reach that point. That's where you want to get to. And if you get there, great. Just keep keep plugging away, keep trying to get there. And it, it was a great comment to make, especially off the cuff. By the way, right, uh, someone right. someone someone's calling here, and they say they want they want to speak to both me and you. Let's see who it is. You want me to unmute? Go ahead. Yes, Hello. while I was muted, I was saying, yes, Hello. unmute me. Hello, who's this? Hello. Yes, I this? wasn't listening to your show. Well, like, they call me on this uh, radio platform, the One Angry Jew. Okay, I'm getting off here. I don't know what that was about. Okay, I don't know who that was, and I guess he doesn't. he wasn't trying to call my show. I guess someone else was trying to. <laughs> I don't know what the hell that was. <laughs> But uh, it seems like someone here. Of course, this happens when you jump in as the guest host because if it happened to me as the well-seasoned host that I am, I'd have (laughs) absolutely no problem dealing with right right now. That's right. (laughs) Actually, well, I got I got about ten minutes left. I have to finish up here. You want want me to let you go and finish up your uh, story? Yeah, I I have Ted Cruz's ten ten points, and then uh, I think that's about it. Excellent. Okay. Well, thanks, Colin. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk later. Take care. Excellent. Thanks. Take care. Thanks, Bert. All right, everyone. Um, I'm going to uh, – I saw uh, Ted Cruz's uh, CPAC speech yesterday, and it was it was great. As good as any politician can make a speech, funny, um, and also very, very good points.
So his 10-point plan, uh, I'm just going to uh, run through them, just, just, just to read them. I'm not going to have the audio. I've been doing enough audio. Uh, but anyway, um, one, the first point, he says, defend the Constitution, all of it. Defend the Constitution, all of it. Uh, the second point, he says, we need to abolish the IRS, uh, with the result being uh, we can put our taxes on a postcard. And, of course, he went, you know, about the corruption in the, in the IRS, what Obama's been doing. And uh, I, think, I think Steve Simpson at a Voices for Reason a blog uh, picks up on a Wall Street Journal article about the, uh, the IRS and how it's really it's quite obvious that it's been a Democratic Party attack on free speech, on uh, non-leftists, with the Obama administration, likely. I mean, it, we know it is, but... In, in terms of proof-wise, uh, the guy thinks that he has a, the smoking gun. And Steve Simpson takes it a little further on the blog. The objective is uh, Steve Simpson on uh, ARI's blog, uh, Voices for Reason. Check it out when you can. And uh, number three, expand energy in America. Expand energy in America, which uh, the left does not want us to do. Uh, four, expand school choice. Now, that's what he says. And of course, uh, Abolishing government schools is the best way to do that. I'm not sure if he would go there. I'm not sure if he's as, as radical as that uh, Ted Cruz. And he also says, repeal Dodd-Frank. And Cruz adds, uh, talk about a bill that you don't have to read any further than the title to know nothing good can come from it. By the way, if you want to call in, um, let's see, someone. Hello? Uh, who's this? I have a logical question for you, if I may ask it. Who is this? On what basis did you uh, hang this? up on the last caller? Who, well, if you want to know my this? name, it's Howard. If you want to okay. know my name, it's Howard, and I'm calling you from Philadelphia. But on what basis did you hang up on that last caller? Excuse me? He didn't seem like he wanted to speak at all, and I'm going to hang up on you right now. You didn't let him. You... What a wise guy. Howard, who knows who this is? Maybe he has an axe to grind with me or with Amy. I don't know. I don't care to find out right now. If someone wants to email me, go for it. Anyway, uh, let me let me continue. Number six, audit the Federal Reserve, according to Cruz and, and his ten point plan. Number seven, pass a strong balanced budget amendment. Uh, stop bankrupting our country. Cruz says what we're doing to our kids and grandkids is morally wrong. Uh, he goes, uh, number eight is repeal every single word of Obamacare. Nine, stop the lawlessness about Obama ignoring laws, etc. And um, he says, quote, if you have a president who is picking and choosing which laws to follow and which laws to ignore, you no longer have a president. By the way, if anyone, will, if anyone else wants to call in the last few minutes, if they have anything to say about the show, uh, it's uh, 760 888-5817 As long as you're not like the last two callers uh, I'll de definitely give, you know, give and take um, Yes, and uh, as Daniel says uh, I am required to, to provide a platform for his right to free speech Exactly Of course, and Islamic peace um, I don't know what that was about Let's see if there's another one now It might be the same guy This is another call Hello? It might be the same guy. Why do you keep hanging up on me? I have a yeah. point. Oh, you... man. 
Anyway, someone's looking to... i got to knock these guys out. Knock them out. Cross them out. Anyway, let's uh, continue, as I've been interrupted here. And they keep coming up with different numbers here. Wise asses. Both of them. Uh, repeal every single word of Obamacare. Repeal every single word of Obamacare. Uh, that's number eight. Number nine, stop the lawlessness. I'm sorry, I read these. I was a little knocked off by these punks. Uh, but let me reread that. Number nine, stop the, lawless, the lawlessness about Obama ignoring laws, etc. Quote, Cruz says, if you have a president who's picking and choosing which laws to follow and which laws to ignore, you no longer have a president. Ten, end the corruption. Now, that's a little vague. I know what it means, but end the corruption. Eliminate corporate welfare and crony capitalism. Term limits, etc. That's what he wants, uh, term limits, as Mark Levin actually uh, promotes in his book, The Liberty Amendments. Um, and I would add one more that he could have and should have and all that. Uh, I, w- I would have added declare war on jihad. But uh, one thing that really stood out from those 10 points to me as objectives is so no social issues were, were on the list. Thank God, he says. The atheist says, uh, no social issues were on the list. Uh, that's great. You know, it really, really is. And it's, um, you know, he, he is religious. He has spoken about in, against gay marriage and abortion in his own, I guess, limited way. But when it comes down to the big issues that he wants to promote in America, uh, it's not those. It's not the uh, religious, religious uh, issues that religious conservatives want, would like to be pushed. Leave that to um, Rick Santorum. Also, uh, you know, I think Ted Cruz is the only, only 2016 contender, as I mentioned before, uh, who uses the proper term jihad to describe the Islamic enemy's war on us. That's important to me, to Americans. To, it should be important to all of us, and it should be important to all of us. If we start speaking the truth, that means we will one day, as a country, act on it. Telling the truth is the first step, and Cruz is as honest as politicians come today. I have a few minutes left. Um, I have all my stories, more or less, um, taken. Uh, so if anyone wants to call in for the last, for the last few minutes, uh, you can do so. Um, I got these two guys. I guess they're coming back. I'm not sure. I don't want to even... Let, let, me, let, me, let me see. You know what? No. No, I think it's, I think it's them. So uh, let me just say that uh, I'd like to start my own podcast this is the first time I've ever done a solo show. Uh, so it clearly was not as smooth as uh, Amy. Amy, I think, does a hell of a job week after week. And it's great to sit in with her. But uh, in terms of doing a whole show by the whole deal, no. Um, so it probably will be called Things That Make My Blood Boil. And uh, we have a lot of things to be angry about these days. You know, domestically, with our own and uh, and the enemy and what goes on and this Islamophilia this is something that, that's an issue that really really kills me this refusal to call the enemy what it is to face it to tell the truth about it and to act on that truth and these guys by the way keep calling up <laughs> uh, Daniel says what was your basis for hanging up on me you know now I hope it wasn't Daniel um, I hope it wasn't him it, if it is uh, you, you know better Better find a better way to uh, get through on the call because I, I saw no good coming from that, from those two guys. First of all, the, the first guy who answered, 
didn't it seemed like he was being pushed to call in. And then the other one said, why 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 to do that? But whatever. Let's end on a good note and just say that. Um, uh, let's see. <laughs> uh, Cruz's speech at CPEC was great. One bad note was that uh, Chris Chris got a standing ovation. Maybe because he says he, he won't run. I don't know. But uh, thanks for listening, everyone. I do appreciate it. Um, thanks for, for, for entering the, the, the chat room, for all the nice comments. I really appreciate the, uh, the audience here. Um, we'll see you next week. Amy will be back, and we'll talk about uh, where she was and uh, how it might affect the storm going, going forward. Well, we have a certain project in mind. So uh, thanks, everyone. I appreciate listening in. Uh, Take care. Have a great week.